We'll be in 1 John chapter 5, if you want to turn there. If you're, you don't have a Bible with you, the chair rack Bible should be one just below you. 1 John chapter 5 should be about page 1023. And if you don't own a Bible, then please take that chair rack Bible as our gift uh, so that you might have a copy of God's Word with you. It's important to know important things. Would you agree? Agreed? Yeah, that seems like a pretty simple statement. It's important to know important things. It's important to know if you're a parent to know your kids' birthdays. Amen? Amen. Anyone got caught off guard with that one? If you're married, it's important to know your anniversary. How many have gotten caught on that one? Only once, though, right, I hope? It's important to know important things. Social security number, passwords to things. It's important to know important things. It's important to know if you're on an airplane, it's important to know what gate you're on, where you're flying out. And I learned one day, it's important to know what airport you're flying to. One morning I arrived at Logan Airport and I was uh, getting ready to check my baggage in, print out my boarding pass, and, and I couldn't get the tag to print for my luggage. So I got in line and uh, went to talk to the attendant, and she said, no problem. She said, well, what, uh, where are you flying to? And I said, I'm flying to L.A. She said, well, which airport are you flying to? And I said, I'm flying to L.A. And she said, well, we fly to two airports in Los Angeles. And I said, well, I'm just learning there are two airports in Los Angeles, so doesn't it say on there which one I'm going to? She did not find my comments amusing. Uh, in fact, looked at me very sternly, very seriously, and said, are you telling me you don't know what airport you're flying to? And immediately through my head, all I'm thinking is there is a button under the counter she's pressing. I'm about to get swarmed by TSA agents with dogs and taken to a room with a light on me going, you don't know what airport you're flying to? And I quickly began to explain, I didn't book the ticket, I'm sorry, I was, I'm not sure, I, you know, I should know this. And uh, I'm like, could you just please, you know, tell me what airport I'm flying? And she said, well, you're flying to LAX, but you should really know what airport you're flying to. I, I'll definitely next time know what airport I'm flying to. And I learned in that moment, it is important to know what airport you're flying to. It is important to know where you're going when you're going someplace, Right? It's important to know important things. This morning we come to a verse in the letter of 1 John where John tells us something. And he says, this is important for you to know. This is crucial for you to know. In fact, in the entire letter of 1 John that we've been looking at for the last several weeks over the summer, John says, this is the most important thing that I want you to know. This is the important thing I've been trying to tell you the whole time throughout this letter. And it's the purpose of John's letter. And here's what he says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. He says, I write these things to you. Let me pause there for a second. Because some of you may be jumping in just today. So John was a disciple of Jesus. So the I is John. He's an he's a early disciple of Jesus. He was one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. So we're talking in the first century. Uh, John is writing. He's about 80 years old. 
and he's writing to some young believers, some new churches, obviously, in the first century, and he's writing to them about what it is to follow Jesus. So that's the I. John says, I write these things to you. Who's the you? You who believe in the name of the Son of God. So I write these things to you who are Christians, you who are Christ followers, that you may know that you have eternal life. John says, the purpose of my writing, the purpose of my whole letter, the purpose I'm doing this, writing this letter to you is for this, so that you would know that you have eternal life. Well, that tells us a couple things. One, that tells us that even though John was writing to Christians, they, some of them at least forgot or didn't realize or doubted whether or not they actually had eternal life. So John takes this entire letter to take the time to say, this is important. I want you to know this. And the purpose of this letter is so that you would know that you have eternal life. So I want this morning to talk about why is that so important? And secondly, how can you know that you have eternal life? Why is it so important and how can you know? I want to look at those two questions. But just before we get there, let's talk for a second about this thing called eternal life. Uh, because if that's so important, I, I think we should stop there just for a second. John says, I want you to know. What do I want you to know? I want you to know you have eternal life. Well, what's that? Well, it's... And it's very probably minimal, I guess, definition. It's the opposite of death, right? Life and eternal life would be the opposite of death. And Jesus affirms this in the Gospel of John. So John not only wrote letters, he wrote something we call the gospel, a gospel, which the gospel is an account of the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And in his gospel, he records these words of Jesus, who Jesus said to a woman, uh, who had just lost her brother, he says to Martha, says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? So in its very primitive sense, eternal life is literally that, the opposite of death. It means that even though you physically die, there's a part of you, there's a soul, there's an eternal part of you that's going to go to live on. And Jesus says, I want that part of you to live on in life. I want that part of you to live on uh, with, with joy and flourishing. And I make a way for that. So Jesus says that I have come that you might have life. But not simply just thrive, just surviving, it's thriving. John chapter 10, John records these words of Jesus. The thief comes, the enemy, the devil, Satan, there's an enemy of God, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came, Jesus says, that they may have life and have it abundantly. You know, when we hear the word eternal life, I'm afraid we emphasize the word eternal so much that we miss the word life. Jesus says, I want you to have life and have it abundant. I want you to have it to the full. I want you to flourish. I want you to have everything you were created to experience. It's why when you go over to that family life center after this service and you see on that wall, there's a scripture on that wall, and it's that scripture. It says, I have come that you might have life. Because we wanted everyone that came into that building 
especially those that may not know Jesus, to come in and see those words and say, Jesus has come that you might have life and have it to the full, have it abundantly. In other words, the flourishing of life, the joy of life. And John's saying, I want you to know that you have eternal life. And this life that you have, you can know that you have it. This was the purpose of his letter. What's interesting is when John wrote his gospel, he also wrote a purpose statement in his gospel. At the end of the gospel of John, chapter 20, verse 31, you'll read this purpose statement. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So the gospel of John was written to unbelievers, those who don't yet know Jesus. And it was written for the purpose that they might come to believe and then receive this life. But the letter of 1 John, I write these things to you who believe, so you've already come to believe, in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. He says, I'm writing this not to unbelievers. I'm writing this to people who already believe. I'm writing this to people who know Jesus. I'm writing this to you, Mount Hope. You know Jesus. You follow him. I'm writing this so that you will know that you have eternal life. And so we have to ask, well, why is that so important? And how can I know that I have eternal life? So let's turn our attention to those two questions for a second. Why? What's so important about being sure that you have eternal life? And how? What's the way you can be sure of it? The reason you need to be certain and the way you can be certain. Why is it so important that you have, know that you have eternal life? I think the simple, one simple statement is this. Knowing you have eternal life is essential to staying on mission. Knowing you have eternal life is essential to staying on mission. Jesus said there's a thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. There is an enemy of your soul. There is an enemy that wants to take you off mission. That wants to take, there's an enemy that is fine that you can say you're in the army of God as long as you don't fight in the battle. You can march around and, and wear the uniform, but if, as long as you're not doing anything actually for God. And there's an enemy that wants to distract you and take you off mission. And one of the ways to take you off mission is to get you to doubt that you have eternal life. Is to get you to doubt you're standing with God. Is to get you to doubt and, and, and have second thoughts or not sure about where you stand with God. Because if you don't have assurance of eternal life, you will spend your time doing one of two things. You will spend, or both these things, you will spend your time being anxious and worrying and fearing death. Or you will spend your time trying to gain assurance of eternal life. Neither of these are productive and both of them take away from the work God has for you. They take away from the joy the Lord desires for you. They take away from the work of Christ done on your behalf for your salvation. They take away from the love that God wants you to know. You'll, waste, you'll end up wasting your time and energy. This past week, one of the stories that was in the news quite a bit, you may have seen it, was the Michael Orr story. 
And Michael Orr, if you weren't watching, his, his story was chronicled in the award-winning movie Blindside. And he was this young man who was adopted by the Tui family. And uh, throughout his, his story, he went from the, the streets uh, of Tennessee to, to playing for a major university to actually playing football in the NFL. And he did that, and he had this amazing success story. And in the midst of that, uh, according to the news that was come out this week, and I don't know all the background, the back and forth, none of us know the whole story, but he was under the impression that uh, he had been legally adopted by the Tui family and, and somehow found out this week that the legality was more of a, uh, something called a conservatorship. And, and um, I don't know all the ins and outs of that, but the bottom line was Michael Orr was uh, looking at this and filing a lawsuit uh, saying that he was, because since he wasn't legally adopted, the rights from the movie and everything else, he didn't get any of the inheritance, he's not included in that because he's not actually part of the family, and it looks like it's going to be a messy back and forth situation. I bring that up for this because if you have doubts about where you stand with a family, you end up spending a lot of time and energy trying to figure out, getting assurance of where you actually stand with the family. And I don't think that's unlike what the enemy tries to do when he puts doubts in your mind. That if you doubt that you have eternal life, that you will spend lots of energy, lots of time trying to get assurance of something that John says, I want you to know it. You have assurance of it. And any time and energy you spend on it, is actually you wasting time and energy that could be spent on the things of God. So you, it, it will take you off mission. The enemy will use it as a strategy to distract you. But the second thing, if you don't, you need to know why you, uh, the reason you need to know why you have eternal life, the reason that that's important for you to know is to keep you from getting taken in by false teachers. Because if you don't have assurance of eternal life, you will be more likely and more open to someone that says they know how you can get it. You'll be more open to someone say, oh, you're not sure you have eternal life? Well, come on, follow me. I'll show you. And they may not have the way of Jesus in mind. And if you don't know and are not sure that you have eternal life, you're going to be more open to false teachers. That's exactly what was going on in John's day. That he was writing because false teachers were, try, were coming in and trying to take people who were Christ followers in a different direction. And he says, look, you need to know that you have eternal life in Christ. Don't follow these guys. The gospel that Jesus brings is simple. Romans chapter 10 verses 9 and 10 puts it this way. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with your heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. It's pretty simple. But if you don't know that, there'll be re rebellious teachers who will come along and try and take away from things God said. They'll come along and say, oh, did God really say that? You don't have to believe that. On the other side, there'll be religious teachers that you may be tempted to follow that will come along and add to what God said. Oh, yeah, that confession and stuff, that's good. But you also need to come to our church. Or you also need to live and do this in order to be saved. And if you don't know 
that you have eternal life, you may be tempted to follow a false teacher in a wrong direction. You may become a mark for the enemy. Last couple months ago, our family had an opportunity to take a trip together. It was the first kind of big trip out of the country we took together. We got the opportunity to go to Italy together. And as I was researching this trip, uh, much like maybe some of you might do, I, um, I, 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 you know, read all the websites. I read Rick Steves. I was all over Rick Steves. I never knew Rick Steves before this, but he and I became good friends um, researching this trip. And I hidden planet, all this stuff. And one thing kept coming up. Watch out in Italy for pickpockets. In fact, everything I read never failed to mention pickpockets in Italy. I was so afraid of pickpockets in Italy. I, I, we went to visit the Vatican and I thought the Pope's going to pick my pocket. We were, I mean, every Italian was a pickpocket as far as I knew. I had my wallet under three shirts. I'm looking around all the time. But here's, so we read all the strategies about how to avoid getting pickpocketed, right? And one of the strategies was this. Always look like you know where you're going. Just walk, even if you don't know where you're going, you just walk with purpose. Because the pickpocket is looking for the person that's doubting. The pickpocket is looking for the mark that isn't sure where they're going, that has uncertainty, that's distracted. And when you and I don't understand and know that we have eternal life, we become a mark to get pickpocketed. We become a mark to get our faith questioned by the enemy and taken off course. And John says, I want you to know that you have eternal life. You can walk with purpose. You can walk with direction. 1 John chapter 2, verse 28, he says it this way. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence. Not shrinking from him in shame at his coming. In other words, when you know Jesus, you can walk with confidence. You can walk following him. You don't have to worry. You don't have to doubt. We were in our preaching planning meeting this week, and I had a good illustration, Justin uh, Justin Joseph, who teaches at a university in Boston, brought up. He said, he said where I see this is when, I, when kids come, when students come into their senior year, the difference between a student that has a job secured after their senior year already and the one that doesn't. So the student that knows where they're going comes into the classroom and they are, they'll ask questions. They're not afraid of being wrong. They can, they're, they're comfortable. They're joyful. They're not anxious. They're not worrying because they know where they're going. But that student that doesn't have the job yet, they, every single grade, they're concerned about. They're anxious. They're worrying. What's going to happen next? They're counting down the days to graduation. The difference between knowing and having confidence of where you're going and being in that place of uncertainty. John says, I want you to know that you have eternal life. This is critical. You need to know this. This is why, this is one of the gifts of Christianity, actually. 
Dennis was just up here a minute ago talking about uh, Islam. One of the, one of the sad things that, that Islam has to deal with is you can be a Muslim all your life and never have assurance by your religion of what's going to happen after your death. You, you, you would never know for sure that you ever done enough. And many Muslims that come to Christ, part of it is because of the hope that they understand that it's not about what you do. You can know based on what Christ did that you have assurance of what's going to happen after death, that you have assurance of salvation. And John says, I want you to know this. You need to know this. We might think, well, you know, held, holding a healthy doubt about whether we're saved or not is somehow respectful or deferential to a holy God. But I like the words here of Pastor John Stott, uh, who pastored for many years All Saints Church in London. He says this, certainty and humility do not exclude one another. If God's revealed purpose is not only that we should hear, believe, and live, but also that we should know, presumptuousness lies in doubting his word, not in trusting his word. Did you catch that? So, so it's not presumptuous to believe that you have eternal life if God said that you have eternal life. What would be presumptuous would be to doubt God. Say, I'm not really sure if I have it or not. Well, you can be certain and walk with humility at the same time. And John says, I want you to know. It's important. It's essential. You need to know that you have eternal life. The reason you need to know you have eternal life is so that you don't get taken off mission. So that you stay in the battle. So that you don't get distracted by doubt. But that naturally leads to the second question, how can you know that you have eternal life? Let's just real quickly take a look at that. And, the point, and, and here's my statement on that. When you doubt you have eternal life, test your hypothesis. Just like a scientist. You got, you've, you've got a thought, you've got something that you think is true, well, you need to test that hypothesis. And actually, in the letter of John, he's been giving them tests all along. In fact, he's given them three tests in this book to know that you have eternal life. He's given them a doctrinal test, a moral test, and a relational test. And if you doubt that you have eternal life, you can apply these three tests and see how you do. See how your life stacks up. See where you stand. Let's just look at it. Doctrinal test. 1 John chapter 5, verse 1 says this, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. So if you believe this, if this is your belief that Jesus is the Christ, and let me just stop there for a second because maybe you're new to church and all you've heard is Jesus Christ throughout your life and you think Christ is his last name, which is, which is in honestly a, a conclusion that makes sense. But Christ is actually a title. So it means Messiah or Savior. So John says, if you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior, you've put your hope, you've put your trust in him. You believe that he's the one that can save you from death, from the penalty of sin, from the guilt and shame and all that involves. If you believe that, then you have eternal life. Then you are in God. You believe that Jesus is the Son of God, come from God, he says elsewhere. 
then you are born of God. That's the doctrinal test. And you say, okay, I believe that. I believe, well, you passed the doctrinal test. Let's go to the second test. The second test is the moral test. And in this letter, John says this in 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. And by this, we know that we have come to know him. Okay, how do we know? If we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. John says, the moral test is this. Do you do what God says? It's an obedience test. Do you follow his commandments? Do you live your life subject to the way that God has told you to lead? And you say, well, wait a second. Wait a second, Pastor. You're pretty quick. And you say, wait a second, Pastor Rick. You just said, you just read a scripture. All I have to do is confess and believe. And now you're giving me, you're, you're, you're giving me a switch here and saying, now there's rules I need to keep. Don't get the order mixed up. You hear, believe, live, and then know. The living is a result of the believing. It's a fruit of the believing, not a cause for the belief, not a cause for salvation, not a cause for eternal life. It is a result of eternal life. And when you see that in your life, John says, you can know that you have eternal life. When you see that you are keeping the commandments and following God's rules and putting what God wants above what you want and following his direction, believing that that's going to lead to life full now and in eternity, then you can know that you pass the moral test that you are in God. And you might say, well, we can stop there, Pastor Rick, because whew, there's at least been a time or two where I have not kept a command. And you might say, well, not, you know, none of the big ones, but so I'm out. In fact, maybe the enemy is working in your heart right now saying, well, that's not you. Just think about last week. You fell short. You messed up. So you don't pass this test. I would say when it says you have to keep the commandments of God. Let us not forget that one of the commandments of God is 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. That says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In other words, one of the commands that we are to obey is when we fail to keep the commands we go and repent and confess and receive forgiveness and the cleansing of God for us. So there is provision for that. The only way you are one who doesn't keep the commands is if, one, is if you don't keep them and you say, you know what, I don't care. I'm not going to confess. I'm not going to repent. Well, then you're living a life in rebellion to God. And then you do need to question whether you have eternal life. When we are called to keep all the commands of God, one of those commands is to confess our sins when we fall short of keeping the commands. To stay in right relationship with God. To stay with a soft heart towards God. And so that's the moral test. You say, okay, I'm good there. Final test is the relational test. Love one another. 1 John 3.14 says, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. 
John says, here's the relational test. Do you love the church of Jesus Christ? Do you love the brothers and sisters who are sitting in this room with you? Would you help them in their time of need? Would you treat them like family? Will you care for them? Will you love them? Will you watch out for them? Will you be a part of the family? That's the relational test. John says you can't say you love God who you cannot see if you don't love the brothers and sisters in the church of God who you can see. And as you do this, this is the relational test. Are there people who will have at times be difficult to love? Of course there will be. I may be one of those for you. You're like, oh, man, Pastor Rick. But we endeavor to do it. And we love people in the church. And we offer grace. And we help them when there's a time of need. And John says when you do that, that's the relational test. And when you pass those doctrinal, moral, and relational tests, you can know that you have eternal life. And you don't have to doubt it. And you can stay on track. And you can stay on mission. And you don't have to worry about that. You don't have to be anxious about that. You don't have to worry about that. And you say, ah, well, we've come to where I started. I already knew that. But let me ask you this. Do you live like you know that? There's a difference between knowing you have eternal life and living like you know you have eternal life. And I want you to know as your pastor, to, I want you to know and have assurance that you have eternal life. I don't want you to live trying to get it. That you will lead a life where you can risk more and stress less because you know you have eternal life. You know, one of the things when we were planning this trip, I had to buy some plane tickets and uh, maybe like you, you know, I don't know, maybe you just go on and buy the first plane ticket that pops up, but not me. I'm an analyzer. I'm, a, I'm an information guy. I, I spent hours, days, weeks, maybe, a while, Wendy says. It was a minute, yeah, before Wendy walked in and said, just hit buy. <laughs> I researched airports, I researched airlines I never heard of, I checked up their safety record, I checked up their reviews, I checked up transfers and how long I'd be there and how big's the airport to get my connection, all of these things, a lot of time. But what if someone came up to me afterwards and said, oh, I already bought your ticket. What a waste of time. What a waste of time that would have been. Some of you are living your life like your ticket hasn't been bought yet. And you are worrying about something that John says, I want you to know you have eternal life. I don't want you to spend time and energy worrying about it. I don't want you to spend time and energy wondering about it. When you know Jesus, you know you have eternal life. And now live your life like that. Our worship team is going to come back and we're going to close in the song. But I want to do something as they come. I want to do something uh, first as they come. So I, I give you these couple of questions. I try to, maybe not every week, but pretty often, these continue the conversation questions. 
And when I do this, because I don't believe that a message for a few minutes on a Sunday morning is going to ultimately change your life, I, you need to take it beyond this. You need to go beyond Sunday morning and, and take and think about and pray about and listen to what God's saying. So I'm going to, this morning, here's my two continuing the conversation questions. But I want to just look at the first one. What would the life of a person who knows they have eternal life look like? What would the life of a person who knows they have eternal life look like? Here's what I want to do. I'm going to give you two minutes, and I want you to talk to someone near you about the answer to this question. And I know you introverts are sweating and shaking right now. I know. I'm with you. But you can do this. We're going to have this conversation. I'm going to give you two. You don't have to be a Christian to answer this question. A non-Christian, someone who doesn't follow Jesus, can give an spe- answer to this question. Here's how I think you Christians should act if you really believe you have eternal life. So I, I want to give you t- two minutes to turn to someone near you or two or one or two people if, if you need to. Have a conversation around this first question. What would the life of a person who knows they have eternal life look like? All right? Don't have to be, if you don't know the person, introduce them, say your name, you know, uh, and just tell them who you are and just two minutes have this conversation. 